Well, good morning, everyone. Happy Sabbath. Good to see you here. Um, today is a special lesson. It's the third angel's message. So it's one of the high points of the book of Revelation. Why don't we go ahead and get started so we can maximize our time. So let's, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for the Sabbath day. We thank you that we can come together and to study the Bible. Please bless us now as we open up your word. May we gain deeper insights into your truth. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Just as a reminder, if you have a comment, raise your hand. We have a microphone for the recording. Dave Thiel back there has the microphone with him. And I may ask you to read a verse as well. And we'd like you to read into the microphone. So we're going to turn to Revelation chapter 14. And we are going to be looking especially at verses 9 through 12 today. This is the third angel's message. Now, just as a background to remind us where we are in the book of Revelation, um, Revelation 14 has three sections. The first five verses is the 144,000. Verses 6 through 12 is the three angels' messages. And then the rest of the chapter describes the harvest. So you have the 144,000 who are prepared by the three angels' messages and the three angels' messages given by that special group of people um, enables the harvest to be ripe at the time when Jesus comes. So that's the structure of Revelation 14. Now, what we talked about last week is that in order for the 144,000 to be prepared, you look at their characteristics and you say, well, I'm not at that level yet, but yet that's the level that God wants us to be aiming for. We wonder how we could get to that point. Well, the three angels' messages prepare us to get to that point. And the first angel's message has the everlasting gospel, which is forgiveness and victory over sin through the power of Christ. And we see the second angel's message, Babylon has fallen. Now we're going to get to the third angel's message. But one of the key points is, in order for the 144,000 to be prepared, we need to get all th through all three messages. So you have the first angel's message, then the second angel's message, and finally to the third angel's message. And all three together will be what it takes to prepare the 144,000 to be God's special group of people. So we're going to study the third angel's message today. And we're going to start now in Revelation chapter 14, verse 9. And I'd like a volunteer to read verses 9 through 12. So Revelation chapter 14, verses 9 through 12. A volunteer. We have one right back there. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and his image and receives his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night who worship the beast 
and his image, and whoever receiveth the mark of his name. And then verse 12. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Okay, so verses 9 through 12 is the third angel's message of Revelation 14. So, <clears throat> as we studied last week, um, the first angel's message first began to be given by the Millerite movement. They preached Revelation 14, 6, and 7. Fear God, give glory to him. The hour of his judgment is come. They mistakenly thought that the hour of God's judgment was the second coming. And yet they preached that message. And then they started to preach the second angel's message in the summer of 1844 when the other Protestant churches kicked the Millerites out of their churches for teaching the imminent second coming of Christ. And if you, again, if you look back at the history of the churches of that time, many of the churches, not all, but a majority of them were post-millennialists who believed that there would be a thousand years of peace and prosperity before Jesus came back. So the preaching of the imminent return of Christ was not a very popular message to them and they didn't want to hear it. So that was one of the main reasons why the Millerites were pushed out of, of the churches at that time. So the first and second angel's messages began to be given even before 1844, but the third angel's message could not rightfully be given in totality or in completion until after 1844 because this was the time period when Jesus goes from the holy place to the most holy place into the Ark of the Testament. If you go back to Revelation 11:19, you see the temple of God is open in heaven and they're seeing the Ark of his Testament. So when the temple of God is open in heaven, at the sounding of the seventh trumpet, you move into 1844, the, the final judgment, the Ark of the Testament where the law of God is contained. And the third angel's message describes a group of people that keep the commandments of God. And that includes, of course, the fourth commandment, the seventh-day Sabbath. So the third angel's message, which includes the keeping of the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus, um, could not be fully understood by the Millerites until there was a rediscovery of the Sabbath message. And historically, after 1844, the Sabbath was rediscovered. You can study the history. Um, T.M. Preble wrote a tract on the Sabbath. It eventually got into the hands of Joseph Bates. Joseph Bates accepted it. He then shared it with James and Ellen White. James and Ellen White accepted it. And then it's then Hiram Edson, who had discovered the sanctuary message, got together with them. And then you had the confluence of the Sabbath and sanctuary message and the early believers. So historically, the third angel's message began <clears throat> to be given shortly after 1844, when there was a, a discovery of the Sabbath message. So, <clears throat> going back then to looking at the big picture of the three angels' messages, there's this progression of the first angel's message, the everlasting gospel, the forgiveness of sin and the power of Christ to be like Jesus as well. That's the everlasting gospel. The fearing God, giving glory to him, the judgment hour message the reminder that God is creator, he made earth in six days, rested the seventh. And then the reminder that Babylon has fallen. And as, as we talked about last week, a lot of times Adventists will focus on the first angel's message, but then we don't go to the second and the third. And if we don't have them in totality, 
then the 144,000, the preparation of the 144,000 will continue to be delayed. So we want to cover all three messages. And it is true that once you get past the first angel's message, um, some people may find the second and the third angel's messages to be perhaps a little bit more objectionable. But they are here in Scripture. God has given them to us for a reason. And so we, we need to study them out and to be familiar and understand with what these messages are so that we can be um, properly equipped for the time in which we live. So the third angel's message we read, verses 9 through 12. <clears throat> now notice in verse 9 it says, The third angel followed them, the first and second, saying with a loud voice. So this is a message that gains, that should gain much attention because it's given with a loud voice, just as the first angel was given. And in verse 9 we see, If any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark or in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God. Now, this requires then some understanding of Revelation 13. Now, how many of you were here when we went through Revelation 13? <coughs> um, just a very few of you. Now, how many of you here are Seventh-day Adventists? Okay, so pretty much everyone. So I'm assuming that <coughs> you would understand Revelation 13 where it talks about the beast, his image, and the, the mark in his forehead or in his hand. Um, just as a quick reminder though, because this is the beginning to the third angel's message, <coughs> Revelation 13 has the two beasts you have the beast with seven heads, ten horns, coming up out of the sea, has the deadly wound. Then you have the lamb-like beast that comes out of the earth, and he causes those on the earth to worship the first beast, which had the deadly wound and was healed. <clears throat> you study that out historically, it's clear that the first beast is the papal power. Second beast is Protestant America. <clears throat> and then we have... But in here, Revelation 14, 9, worshiping the beast, that would be worshiping papal Rome and his image and receiving his mark. The image of the beast, if you study out the characteristics of the beast, an image would be the same as what the, or a very similar pattern or a description. The image of something is a description of what you're describing. The beast in Daniel and Revelation is a persecuting power that combines the power of the state to enforce religious um, power. And so the image of the beast is union of church and state. The mark of the beast is enforcement of union of church and state, specifically Sunday worship. That's just a brief review. So here is then the crucial aspect of the third angel's message. If you study Revelation 13, you get the idea that all the world wonders after the beast. So whatever this beast is doing, or the two beasts in Revelation 13, it's going to deceive nearly the whole world. And so God needs something to counter that to save as many people as he can save during the last days. Um, you may ask, well, 
you know, what's the purpose of the three angels' messages? I mean, God's people down through time who never heard of these messages, many of them are going to be saved in his kingdom. So what's so important about the three angels' messages in the time in which we live in now? Well, the key point is, is that sometime after 1844, the two beasts of Revelation 13, we don't know when, are going to come together, combine church and state, and use the power of the state to enforce religious laws. And if you're on the wrong side of the equation during that time, you will be following man rather than God. And God in his great mercy sends these three messages to warn his people so that they will have an opportunity to not be taken over by the working of the devil and by man and all of that during the very last days of earth's history. So, the third angel's message starts off with a warning saying, if any man worship the beast in his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. Now, if you read ahead in Revelation, <clears throat> those, who those who are alive during the time of the end who receive the mark of the beast those will be the ones who receive the seven last plagues. And you can see that in Revelation 15 and 16. And so God doesn't want any of us to receive the seven last plagues. And so he sends the third angel's message as a warning saying, in Revelation 13, you saw what the, the beast is, what his image is, and what the mark is. I don't want you to get that. I love you too much for you to receive any of those things. That's, that's the mark of man's authority here on this earth. I want you to follow the Lord completely. So, if you receive those things, you're going to receive the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture. Now, you may say, wow, this presents a very stern picture of God but remember we've already had the first two angels and so now we have the third angel's message so some people some Adventists perhaps make the mistake of jumping straight to the third angel's message and they meet someone for the first time and they say do you realize you're going to get the mark of the beast if you keep doing what you're doing and the everlasting gospel is lost sight of so we start with the everlasting gospel and the first angel's message. That's your starting point. But we don't finish there. We keep going sequentially. But if you don't start with the love of God and the everlasting gospel, if you hit the third angel's message and just start pounding them with the mark of the beast, they're going to be like, whatever, I'm not going to be part of whatever you have to say because you're so evil and mean. So we need to be careful that we aren't... Um, misrepresenting God's character by starting with the most objectionable points of our message without grounding people in the everlasting gospel. When you understand the everlasting gospel of the love of God, how he died for us and how he's in heaven for us now interceding so that we can be like him, then you're prepared to receive the second angel and then the third angel. But until that time, you know, don't go straight to the third angel's message when you're witnessing start with the first angel's message. They go in order. And if you, anyway, so th that's just a key point. But we clearly see that the third angel's message is strong and it doesn't water things down. Now, <clears throat> it's clear that <clears throat> God will intervene 
um, when it's time, when those who have followed the ways of man and they receive the mark of the beast in their forehead or in their hand, God will punish them. Now, <clears throat> some people have a hard time seeing God as directly punishing the wicked. <clears throat> you, have a, you have a hard time getting around many verses in Scripture that show that God directly intervenes and punishes. However, <clears throat> we do need to keep in mind that even when God punishes, even when His cup of wrath is full, He's still doing the loving thing to destroy those who He's destroying because they have reached a point where that's the best thing for them because they would not be happy in the presence of God. We won't... What's that? Torturing them. Um, does the text say that he is torturing them? Well, that's a good question. It doesn't actually use the, the word torture. I guess you could say it uses the word tormented. And again, this brings up a, a controversial point that we're not going to spend a lot of time on. But again, the whole totality of Scripture shows, um, and of course Ellen White backs it up that when the wicked receive the wrath of God, especially at the end of the thousand years, that they will not burn forever and ever and ever. It will be for a short period of time. And again, that, that again is the mercy of God being demonstrated. We have a comment back here. <clears throat> to what was just said here. What's uh, that? To what was just said right here regarding God torturing. It is what, if I understand okay, I can't right, hear you. You, you need to speak up. The microphone's only okay. for the recording. You have to speak up. <laughs> yeah. um, it is um, God turns them over to what they have chosen. They have chosen um, the decisions that they have made, brought them to the consequence that they have arrived to, and God turns them over to it. And this is where the torture lies, because now they see um, the consequence of their doing, and this is indeed torturous. And but God allows this to happen because there is justice and mercy. Mm -hmm. And you know, this these two are married. They are they have <coughs> met at Calvary. So. Okay. <coughs> now, and I'll be honest. <coughs> when I was looking at um, these four verses that we're going to be looking at today, the one thing I don't want to see us get into. Um, and I, feel free to talk to me afterwards or study it further on your own. The third angel's message, I don't want this class to turn into a, a back and forth about how does God destroy and, and the whole arguments um, behind that. There's a lot of in interesting things that we could talk about with respect to that, but I want to focus specifically on <clears throat> the, the warning that God gives about if we worship the beast, his image, or receive his mark, um, the consequences of that um, are not positive. And yet, as a reminder, um, at the end of the third angel's message, there's the opposite of worshiping the beast, receiving his mark, or his image. And that's in verse 12. So we're going to study that and spend some time there. And then finally, just as a reminder, that when people heed these three messages, the first angel's message, the everlasting gospel, the second angel's message coming out of Babylon, the third angel's message 
the, keeping the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. The final product is the 144,000 who are the first fruits unto God and the Lamb, who have no guile in their mouth. They're without fault before the throne of God. And so, as Seventh-day Adventists, that is, <clears throat> that is our end goal. Um, God raised us up with these three angels' messages to prepare us to be the 144,000. And, um, and I doubt that, and we're not going to get into a discussion of whether it's literal or symbolic. I doubt it's literal, but anyway, the point is, is that God has raised up the, second, the Seventh-day Adventist Church, the Second Advent Movement, to be prepared to be a special group of people at the very end of time. Now, in verse 12, I want to spend some time there. Here in verse 12, this is the end of the third angel's message, and it says, Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Now, in the first 12 verses of Revelation 14, we see a description of the Lamb of God. We see a description of the saints. Here we see that the saints have patience. They keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Now, <clears throat> verse 12 is a description of the 144,000. They're described as having the patience of the saints, keeping the commandments of God, and the faith of Jesus. There's a lot in this verse. You could spend a whole hour just on the characteristics of God's people in this verse. Now, <clears throat> the 144,000 are described as standing with the Lamb of God on Mount Zion. Now, we talked about this when we studied verses 1 through 5, but John, who wrote Revelation, and he also wrote the Gospel John, so this is a brief review. In John 1.29, John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And in its most basic sense, that describes Jesus as the Lamb of God who was slain from the foundation of the world. That's in Revelation 13.8. The Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world who died on the cross for our sins. And as we behold him, we receive forgiveness of sins. We see Jesus on the cross. We accept his sacrifice. So we receive forgiveness of sins. So the 144,000 have received forgiveness of sins. <clears throat> as we understand the sanctuary message, Jesus, as the Lamb of God, died for our sins. But in 31 AD, after he died on the cross, he ascended to heaven into the holy place where, where he was until 1844. And then after... On October 22, 1844, he goes into the most holy place. And since that time, we've been living in the investigative judgment or also the anti-typical day of atonement. And as you understand the sanctuary message, at the end of the day of atonement, the sins of God's people will be blotted out. Now what's interesting in Hebrews 9, and let's turn there. In Hebrews 9... Verses 27 and 28. <clears throat> See, do we have a volunteer to read Hebrews 9, 27 and 28? Right down here. <clears throat> and as, 
it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Okay, now this is very interesting. So verse 28 especially. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. So we're beholding the Lamb of God as our sacrifice on the cross. But notice this. Unto them that look for him. So we're looking unto Jesus. We're beholding the Lamb of God. Unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin. Well, what does that mean? Well, then if you go into Hebrews chapter 10, it talks about how the blood of bulls and goats could never take away sin. But Jesus, by his blood, does take away sin. So it gives you the concept that and actually, the word take away sin or the phrase take away sin means to blot out sin in Hebrews 9 and 10, or in Hebrews 10 specifically. You can see that in verse 4 of Hebrews 10. So, <clears throat> when Jesus comes back the second time, the reason why he appears without sin for those who look for him is because he's blotted out their sins at the end of the judgment. So, 144,000, they behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. So they behold him as their sacrifice. They receive forgiveness of sin, but as they continue to behold him in the heavenly sanctuary, they, and then Hebrews 12, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, as they keep looking unto him, he will eventually blot out their sins. And when he appears the second time, he appears without sin, so that then when the 144,000 are described in Revelation 14, they are without fault before the throne of God. And it's interesting in Hebrews, so we see Hebrews 9, Hebrews 10. Then when you get to Hebrews 12, it talks about looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. So we start by looking, him, looking at him on the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. That's in the heavenly sanctuary. So when you look unto Jesus, you look at him on the cross, and then you follow him to the heavenly sanctuary. And by doing that, when he appears the second time, he will come without sin. Now, what's interesting in that, and I realize I'm going fast, but we did this a few weeks ago. <clears throat> Hebrews 12 tells us to run the race with patience. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us, lay, laying aside every sin and the weight. So as we run with patience, looking unto Jesus, this will enable us to have the experience of Christ on the cross and in the most holy place of the heavenly sanctuary. And when we do that, he will be able to blot out our sins. So Hebrews 12, 1 through 4, Hebrews 9, Hebrews 10, are describing the experience of God's last day people, the 144,000, as they run the race with patience. And John alludes to it here in Revelation 14, 12. He says, here is the patience of the saints. So when it says, here is the patience of the saints, what it means is, here are those who ran with patience, the race that is set before them, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of their faith. Now what's interesting is, so they look to Jesus, the author and finisher of their faith. What's the finished product of faith? Well, in Hebrews 14, 12, it's the faith of Jesus. So you look to Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. You run with patience the race that is set before you, looking unto Jesus. And the end product of the 144,000 is that they keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. So when we describe the faith of Jesus, 
That's describing the faith of Jesus. That doesn't mean faith in Jesus. It means the faith of Jesus. And so, if I have faith in my wife, Joelle, that's good. I believe she'll get something done. But I have, if I have the faith of Joelle, that means the quality of my faith is the same as the quality of her faith. 144,000 have faith that is the same quality as Jesus. And this was an interesting concept to me. And we talked about this a few weeks ago, but what's the title of the book of Revelation? The full title. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. Where is Jesus Christ most completely revealed in the book of Revelation? There's probably a few places, but where is one place where he is revealed in a powerful way? It's right here in Revelation 14. The 144,000 are a revelation of Jesus Christ. They have the faith of Jesus. In verse 5, in their mouth was found no guile. That's the same characteristic of Christ in 1 Peter chapter 2, describing his experience going through the judgment in Pilate's hall. They are without fault before the throne of God. That's the same description of Christ in Hebrews chapter 9, where, it's, where he's described as a lamb who was offered without spot. The words spot and fault are the same word in, this, in, in the um, original language. So the 144,000 are a revelation of Jesus Christ at the end of time. So another way to think of it is, is that God raised up the second advent movement with three angels' messages to prepare a people to reveal his character to the world. Now we can focus on objectionable parts of our message and the mark of the beast and all that, and that's important. But the, the key point is that the three angels' messages prepare a people to be like Jesus so that we can reveal his love to the world. And so, truthfully, Seventh-day Adventists, especially when we study these three messages, <clears throat> should be more like Jesus than anything, really. And um, if we're known more for being judgmental or critical or negative, then we've missed something. And God wants us to, to give the, the whole package, and yes, there are some more objectionable points perhaps to some, that's in there for a reason, and we need to give a warning. But really... <clears throat> When people meet us, they should meet someone who reflects the character of Christ. And I know for myself, God is still working with me. I have things that God is convicting me of, things that, to put aside so that I can lay aside those weights, those sins, so that I can be more like Christ. All of us have things that we would do well to lay aside so that we will have the character of Jesus. So verse 12, the having the patience of the saints. It does take patience to follow Christ at times, but the reward is great. And so God's last day people have the patience of the saints. Notice they also keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. I don't want to pass over this point about keeping the commandments of God. Remember the third angel's message began to be fully understood after 1844 with the Sabbath message. So the law of God, the commandments of God, includes all ten. 
The book of James tells us if we offend him one, we're guilty of all. So God's last day people who rediscovered the Sabbath message have the opportunity to keep the commandments of God, not on their own strength, but through the power of Christ. And this implies that the Sabbath is a key part of the last day message, of the third angel's message, the seventh day Sabbath, in contrast to the mark of the beast, which is man's day of worship, earlier in the third angel's message. So you have mark of the beast, Sunday, man's day of worship, keeping the commandments of God, which includes the seventh day Sabbath, God's way, God's day of worship. Now, I'll ask the question, and it's sort of obvious, but... If you're living by the faith of Jesus and you're exercising the same faith that Jesus exercises, will you live an obedient life or a disobedient life? So you'll live an obedient life. Now, there's other ways to look at this as well. When we studied Revelation 10 and we talked about the mystery of God being finished, the mystery of God, as we learned from Colossians 1.27, is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So, Revelation 14, 12 is another way to describe the mystery of God being finished. Because when the mystery of God or Christ in you is completely finished in the lives of the believers in the Second Advent movement, then it would be accurate to describe God's people as having the faith of Jesus. Because if Christ is dwelling in your heart by faith, to a full completion, and then it would make sense that you would have the faith of Jesus. Does that make sense? So, mystery of God, Christ in you, the hope of glory, and the mystery of God should be finished in the second advent movement. As it is finished, God's people will demonstrate the faith of Jesus. So that's part of the third angel's message. Patience of the saints, keeping the commandments of God, and the faith of Jesus. So, let's just summarize these three angels' messages briefly here. Again, the first angel's message in verses 6 and 7, we see the everlasting gospel which goes to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. The message of fear God, give glory to Him. The judgment hour message, the message of God as creator, a reminder of the Sabbath even in the first angel. The message that Babylon is fallen is fallen. And in Revelation 18, we see that with the message of Babylon being fallen, we are to call God's people out of Babylon. And we described who Babylon was last week. And honestly, the loving thing to do is to warn God's people in Babylon that they're on the wrong side right now. We're not going to do them any favors by agreeing that we're all okay and we're all the same. That doesn't do them any favors. The loving thing to do is to lovingly show them the everlasting gospel. Okay, we're in agreement on the gospel now. And then show them the judgment hour message and say, you know what? You're on the wrong side. God wants you to come out and to be with him so that you don't end up being on the wrong side here at the very end. That's the loving thing that God wants us to do for his people during this time. And then the third angel's message shows us the end result of those who follow the beast and receive the mark in his image and the end result of that. And then we also see the end result of those who follow the three angels' messages in their totality. They follow the everlasting gospel. 
they accept Jesus as their Savior, they receive Him as Lord, they receive power to live a victorious Christian life during the time of the judgment, and through the power of Christ dwelling in their hearts, they keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And so, I think we still have a few minutes here. So, that is what God has given us these three messages for. The three angels' messages are to prepare us to stand in the judgment, and God wants to have a group of people that will be on His side when the judgment comes to a completion. Now, verse 13, we'll, we'll go to verse 13 here. Verse 13 is a special verse, and I'd like someone to read <clears throat> Revelation chapter 14, verse 13. Is there a volunteer? We have a volunteer down here. Revelation 14, verse 13. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, save the spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. Okay. Revelation chapter 14, verse 13 is a special verse describing what we, dis- we, what we call the special resurrection. Daniel chapter 12, um, verses 1 through 3 talk about um, a resurrection where some are resurrected to everlasting life and some to everlasting shame and contempt. Revelation 1 also talks about how when Jesus comes with clouds, every eye will see him and they also which pierce him. So there's a special resurrection for those who were involved in crucifying Christ But there's also a special resurrection for those who died in the third angel's message. And Revelation 14 verse 13 says, There's a blessing for those who die from henceforth, from those who die from the time of the sounding of the third angel's message. They receive a special blessing. Ellen White describes it in great controversy. And, you know, that's especially comforting to me. I think most of you know my dad passed away like five years ago. So it's nice to know that you know, those of us who have loved ones who have passed away, they will be resurrected to see Jesus come in the clouds, um, those who died in the third angel's message. Now, I wanted to say one other thing before we close. I hope you got the idea from this class that the third angel's message is a powerful message. It's a message that describes the characteristics, uh, characteristics of God's people at the end of time being just like Jesus, a special group. And sometimes well-meaning people in the church can do things that don't necessarily benefit the third angel's message. I'm going to read from Early Writings, page 75. Here Ellen White says, The Lord has shown me that the message of the third angel must go and be proclaimed to the scattered children of the Lord, but it must not be hung on time. I saw that some were getting a false excitement arising from preaching time, but the third angel's message is stronger than time can be. I saw that this message can stand on its own foundation and needs not time to strengthen it, and that it will go in mighty power and do its work and will be cut short in righteousness. So the third angel's message is so powerful. It's a message that is based on the character of God's people that... God wants the third angel's message to be only related to character preparation and not false excitement, not time setting. So you may say, well, what about um, you know, being 
aware of the signs of the times. Absolutely, we should be aware of the signs of the times. But when it comes to setting dates for, for specific events, that's where we could run into trouble. Now, you may say, well, we're not setting dates for the second coming, we're just setting dates for other events. Well, notice what Ellen White says in First Selected Messages, page 191. She says, God has not revealed to us the time when this message will close or when probation will have an end. So if you start to set times for things like the Sunday law and the close of probation, you're doing the same thing as setting the time for the second coming because we know that once the close of probation comes, it's not going to be long until the second coming. So if you're setting dates for the close of probation, you're effectively you know, doing a time-setting message. So the Lord makes it very clear through his servant Ellen White that he wants the third angel's message to go forth with power, but not with a false excitement of time-setting. Um, and I've also heard people who talk about what the Jesuits are doing and how they've set everything up so that um, the United States is controlled by the Council of Foreign Relations and all sorts of weird stuff. The truth of the matter is, is none of that stuff is going to take effect until God's people <clears throat> heed the message of the third angel. And I'm going to close, I think we're about done here, but I'm going to close with a quote from Signs of the Times, September 7, 1876. And I hope that you will take this as a challenge. Ellen White says, Not one hundredth part is being done that might be done to give the third angel's message to the world. Not one hundredth part. So we have a lot of work to do. The third angel's message, we need to give it to the world. Starting with the first, going to the second, not getting afraid of the Babylon, who's Babylon, and the third angel's message, showing what happens when Babylon receives the wine of the wrath of God. But we need to d dedicate our whole lives and everything we do to the giving of the third angel's message. So I pray that we will be faithful to that work. Thank you, everyone.